welcome to Wisdom Exchange TV, where we interview women leaders internationally who've had a social impact in their communities and beyond. I'm Suzanne F. Stevens, Conscious Contribution Cultivator for the You, Me, We Social Impact Group, and your host. In each episode, we'll provide actionable conscious contribution insights to create a social impact to empower you, your organization, and your community. Lots of learning and inspiration, all to make your contribution count. We invite you to join the conversation. Post questions on our guest exclusive Wisdom Exchange TV page. Welcome to our guest, Emily Stevenson, co-founder of Beach Guardian. Emily, along with her father, founded Beach Guardian in 2017, aiming to engage, educate, and empower against plastic pollution. Beach Guardian has organized over 200 community cleanup events with over 6,000 volunteers. They've also visited over 85 schools, engaging with over 14,000 school children and work with some of the world's largest companies to help them reduce their reliance on plastics such as Pepsi-Cola and Nissan. Emily is a budding environmental reporter with her weekly Tune In Tuesday video blog reaching over a million people worldwide. Because Emily is not busy enough, she is currently studying her master's degree where she is researching the role of microplastics in bacteria. And she is only 23. Feeling somewhat inadequate? Let's welcome Emily Stevenson. It's great to have you with us today, Emily. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And this morning I've spent hours listening to some of your other interviews and you've really spoken to some phenomenal people across the world. So to have me joining that, that, that group of people is just such a privilege. Thank you so much. Well, here you are coming from the UK and we've only interviewed one other woman from the UK to date, but she's actually Kenyan. So you really are our first born and bred British citizen that we have um, interviewed. So thank you so much for agreeing to the interview. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Not only, I think you're also the youngest person we've interviewed. So two for one. <laughs> so let's get started. And, you know, what was the catalyst for you to start this organization, Beach Guardian? I love this question and I always answer it with such a cliche in that Beach Guardian has been this jigsaw puzzle that has been forming for many years. There have been so many things coming together to build up to this point and I feel like we're still building every single day. But really all it comes from is a passion, a passion for the environment, a passion for the ocean and a passion to protect it. And from growing up in Cornwall and being so connected to the environment from such a young age and seeing plastic destroying that environment from such a young age is why I now give my life to protecting the environment against plastic. So what steps did you take to start Beach Guardian? Going back to my lovely metaphor of the jigsaw, there were lots of different things that have helped me become who I am today and, and given me that empowerment to protect the planet. I think a lot of it comes from my marine biology degree that I did at the University of Plymouth. Having that understanding, you know, when we know better, 
we can do better. So from learning more and more about the ocean and how delicate it is, is what really inspired me to, to work really hard to protect it. And now I'm doing my master's degree as you perfectly explained in the intro. So from having this knowledge, it's what's it really inspired me, but also that connection, that, pass, that passion, it's all really building up to, to what I do today. Passion and, and connection is so, so important. But at the end of the day, in order to have an impact, you need strategy and you need processes in place in order to make that vision realize. So we know at a young age, you had an experience where you found garbage that was lingering for years on the beach. However, taking a passion and making it a reality, what steps did you do beyond your biology degree? Because before your biology degree, correct me if I'm wrong, you started the process of Beach Guardian. Absolutely. And I think the most important part of why we have been so successful so far has been support and having a support network. And we have been very privileged down here in the Southwest that there are so many organizations that have helped us along the way. So I think the most important thing in starting a social enterprise is knowing when it's okay to ask for help. And that is always, you can always ask for help and there will always be people there to give it to you. And also being volunteer-based, having our volunteers from the very beginning has been absolutely instrumental in everything that we do. You know, without our volunteers, it's just me and my dad on the beach picking up rubbish. It's not as impressive as when you have a whole movement of people with you. So being collaborative and having that support network are so important. So let's break those two groups down is sort of having the support network and then the volunteers are two major stakeholders and getting both of those takes a lot of work. So tell us about some of the things that you did in order to get those collaborators, particularly with the organizations that you were working with, and then we'll get to volunteers in a moment. So in terms of collaborators, what's really important from an environmental perspective, and that has been so integral in our ethos from the very beginning, is that we will never place blame on people. We will never be angry conservationists that are complaining about things. We always want to be collaborative and working with organizations to find the solutions together. I think for years, not just with environmentalists, but with politicians and so many other fields that you can work in, there's been these walls that build up and up and up. And there is a division between these different fields. We need to be working together. So we've always gone in to our collaborations with an open mind and to try and find the solutions together. PepsiCo is a phenomenal example where they acknowledge that there is an issue with plastic pollution and their role in that. But if we'd have always said, you're to blame, you're the problem, you need to do something about it. Those walls are put up, they don't want to work with us. Instead, we say, we know there's an issue, but let's work on this together. Let's find the answers together. And that's why it's been so successful because you have to collaborate. So many questions I have. I mean, it's great that you have to collaborate. And, and again, I couldn't, you, you are preaching to the choir and think, you know, collaboration, I believe is the way of the future now more than ever we need each other. So thank you for reiterating that. But here you are, 
not even, you know, 23, sure, you're smart. Great. You're smart and you have a partner, which is your father, and, and you've aligned and you probably are a go-getter. But at the end of the day, how did you get PepsiCo to talk to you in the first place? Because getting large organizations to talk to the little guy can be extremely challenging. And I know our audience would be interested to know how you actually made that happen. Then what did you advise them and are they doing it? This is a great question because it gives me an opportunity to talk about something that I feel really springboarded me into not only being respected in the environmental community, but it also gave me the confidence to accept that role. So I knew that as PepsiCo is such a large organization, they're the second largest food and drink manufacturer in the world. They are huge. I knew I needed to do something big to warrant their attention. So for my graduation of my marine biology degree at the University of Plymouth, this is back in 2018, I wore a dress that I made out of Walker's crisp packets. Uh, Walker's are a chips brand. They're owned by PepsiCo. I believe uh, it's maybe Lay's for you guys. Um, but essentially wearing that dress, it put the spotlight of the media on me, on my message, on the campaign. And I reached out to PepsiCo and I said, look, there's issues here, I can help. And after that, the conversation got started and the conversation is still going now. And the reason why I think the Walker's dress was so successful was because I used everything that I had to get their attention. It wasn't just me pulling a stunt, but there was so much story behind what built up to the Walker's dress. And that was on our beach cleans, every single beach clean I do, I find a chip packet that is either the same age as me, if not older. Going back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, really showing clear as day that plastic in the environment does not break down. And I'd built up a, a, a momentum and of discussion talking about these chip packets. So it was so much feeding into this one moment. And after that, it's just been magical. This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening. Now back to our show. What are they doing about it? You've brought this to their attention. You got creative with branding. Mm -hmm. You made a splash. It got covered in the newspaper, I believe. And you, you've got their attention. You get someone's attention is one thing. And kudos, by the way, because that's tough to do. But not only get their attention, but then get the conversation going. So sure, they give you a conversation. Then how about listening and then acting? How's that been going? It was really interesting. You touched on the, the media uh, interest in this. And I think that was really crucial in, in the success of the campaign. So after the, the dress, Walkers and PepsiCo said, OK, fine. By the year 2025, we will make 100% of our packaging recyclable, compostable or biodegradable. So I said, OK, that's, that's great. It's a nice target to have. Unfortunately, by then, you'll have produced 28 billion 
more packets of crisps. You have to do something in the meantime to prevent those packets ending up in the environment. And that was my opportunity. I'd done what most environmentalists had done by highlighting the issue. But what is always missed out is the what next. This is your window to give them a suggestion and tell them what you think that they should do. And it has to be realistic. So I said, there's already an organization called TerraCycle. And I believe, uh, well, they do operate in the, in the States as well. And uh, CBS News do a lot of reporting on this. Uh, so I said, there's an organization called TerraCycle. They can recycle chip packets. All you have to do, team up with them and offer a collection scheme where people can collect their packets and then send them off to TerraCycle to be recycled. It's achievable and it's a solution. They took that and they ran with it. And now nationwide across the whole of the UK, you can collect and recycle these packets. And this is the first scheme of its kind worldwide to be able to do that. And we're still talking about PepsiCo now about the success of that scheme. Not only has it saved millions of packets from entering the environment, but also raised millions of pounds too, because once you collect those packets, it raises points, it raises money for charities of your choice. So it's just a phenomenal scheme. I'm so proud to be part of it. And I'm so proud it's kept going and, and been the success that it has. Kudos to you. And I agree with you on this point is so many people look at problems. As a matter of fact, you look at all the business model, find the problem to fix. I get it. But I'm a bit of a fan of look at the opportunity. Instead of saying, here's the, the problem, yes, it's not as sexy, <laughs> meaning it doesn't feel as it, we have to act as quickly on it. But the reality is you found a problem and an opportunity and an opportunity to really add value to the organization. Now, there's a reality that being a, a conservationist and activist, that it, it's not a well-paying job. So I'm, I'm curious, did you, by getting involved with PepsiCo and, and advising them as an activist, did you reap any financial reward for this, this contribution? It's an interesting question. So at the time that uh, all of this PepsiCo stuff was happening was really at the start of Beach Guardian. And I think what has been a huge part of our success is that, as I said, we are totally powered by passion. For the first two and a half years of Beach Guardian, myself and my dad were full-time volunteers. We gave everything to this. We said yes to absolutely everything and everybody, every opportunity that came at us. Yes, we'll do that. Of course, we'll do that. Please to be involved really just to build up our profile, our reputation, and to make as much difference as we possibly can. And I'm so fortunate that in my life, I can do this. What I love the most, protecting the environment is everything that I am as a person. So to be able to do that now as a job, we now have funding from the, the National Lottery here in the UK to be able to do our work is everything I ever could have dreamed of. So at the time when PepsiCo happened, it was at the time that we were just saying yes, yes, yes to everything. So the financial incentive has never been a part of it. And I'm just lucky now that I'm able to do what I can and survive financially and, and sustain it as a job. 
Yeah, and to your point, it often is not the driver when you're, when you're an advocate. It's never the driver. That being said, there's a reality of time, and that's finite. So it does need to be sustainable. So I'm glad to see that you're able to eventually get that support. And staying on that, uh, the lottery, why and how did you get them on board to help support your initiative? Well, as I said, a big part of Beach Guardian has always been the support that we've received in our communities. And we've been very fortunate um, to, I mean, obviously at the start, we were full-time volunteers, but we needed equipment, we needed insurance. So there's a really great scheme. I'm not sure if it's, it should, I'm sure it's global, actually. Do you know of crowdfunding? Yeah. Yeah. But perfect. So we got a lot of our funds initially through crowdfunding. And from that, it kind of springboarded us into applying for very small pots of money, our community chest funds with our local councillors. And we were essentially just writing grant after grant after grant for very small pots of money. And we did a trial with the, the lottery of, uh, you know, we had very small targets of X many schools and, and that kind of thing. Of course, we achieved those targets and beyond. So we had a meeting with them and they said, look, what could you achieve if we supported you for, say, three years? And I said, well, three years, we can achieve a lot. So we wrote out a proposal and it's been absolutely phenomenal what we can now do with their support. We are going to go into all of the schools in Cornwall and across the UK as well. We're, we're trying to just engage with as many people as possible. And of course, that's only possible due to the lottery funding. Which is fabulous, which leads, leads to the volunteers. Who traditionally is doing, who are those 6,000 volunteers? Our volunteers, to me, it's such a cliche, pains me to say it, but it's like a family. We, when we do our beach cleans, when we all get together, it's not just about protecting the environment. It's as much as a social movement as it is environmental. And this has been hugely important for me from the very beginning. Doing the beach cleaning for me is a tonic. It supports and nourishes my mental health and well-being. It's always been the thing that I can fall back on that brightens my day. To be able to allow that to take place in our volunteers as well, as well as helping the environment, has been magical. And I remember when we first started and we were just starting to get to know our volunteers. And there was this one lady, she's, she's quite, uh, you know, an elderly lady. And in Cornwall, we're quite, uh, isolated from the rest of the country we're isolated from other communities it's very country it's very small villages and it's very tourism based there are a lot of people that will go the six months of winter without seeing a single other person it's very very you know isolated and it can be really difficult to get through those gray wet lonely wintry months of course, those months are great for beach cleaning because a lot of plastic is coming in on the stormy seas. So we started doing our beach cleans. And as I say, this elderly lady comes and she's in her car and she says, I've seen you on social media. I've seen what you're doing. I really want to get involved. I've been out. I've bought gloves. I've bought a picker. I've got every bit of equipment I could have prepared myself for, but I haven't seen anybody in years I never leave my house since I've retired I don't socialize anymore 
I think I might just stay in my car. And I said, look, that's totally fine. Thank you for coming. But why not stay with me? Just come along on the beach queen with me. I'll stick with you the whole time and we'll just do it together. So she got out of the car. And now she is a different person altogether. She just became, I saw the life come back to her and now she runs her own beach cleans. She's talking to the children. I remember when there was a milk delivery and glass milk bottles and telling all of these stories and engaging with people and she's got friends that join her on the beach now. And I get to see that every single day. Every time I do an event, I get to see that magic. Now, how lucky am I to be able to experience that and help facilitate that? And that's why having volunteers is so important because it's not just helping them, it's not just helping the planet, but it's helping me too and empowering me to do more. So that's what we try and do with our volunteers is ensure that they have every opportunity to, to make a difference to the planet and themselves. Okay, that gave me shivers from my toes to my head. That's a beautiful story. And, and demonstrating the social impact as well. And with mental health on the rise, oh, you know, the challenges that we're having through this pandemic, people really do need to connect. So are you exercising social distancing on your cleanups? Absolutely. Our cleanups are totally different to how we usually run them. And we've only just really started running them again. But it was so important to me to kickstart the cleans again, because I mean, not just for the environment, but to get our volunteers back together. I keep talking about isolation. We've never experienced a period of such extensive isolation as we have with 2020 in lockdown, people not seeing anybody for months. So having them back down on the beach with me and seeing each other again has been indescribable. I can't tell you the difference that it's made for myself and hopefully my volunteers will say the same but we are obviously having to be very careful I mean usually we just put up the dates online and we say look we're going to be at this beach at this time come and join us whereas now we have to be very careful to not only ensure the safety of our volunteers but everybody else on the beach so we're having to do it through a booking system obviously it's free of charge but we have to monitor those numbers we're um, keeping the numbers very low so we're in small groups we usually do a safety brief at the beginning and a debrief at the end who's found what kind of thing we're all grouped together obviously we can't do this so I've made some information videos for people to watch before they come down so they have all the information that they need before they get there so when they arrive they just pick up the sterile equipment go and clean the beach come back leave the equipment, we clean it and on to the next one. So they've been really receptive to these changes and really adaptable. And it's been fantastic to be back on the beach. Now, how many beaches do you actually do cleanups for? We look after uh, that. It's a really beautiful stretch of the North Cornwall coastline and it's called the Seven Bays. So there are seven different beaches that we run our cleanups on. And uh, we're very fortunate down here in the southwest of England, it's a bit of a hub for sustainability. So if you to look at a map of the whole of the southwest, it, there are so many different groups like us and we each have a, a little portion of coastline and essentially the whole coastline is covered 
with beach cleaners that are taking responsibility for their local environment. So we only do cleans on seven different beaches. If there's a, a group that needs help or support, then we will go and do that across the country. But our cleans are only ever really on the same beaches. And that is staggering in itself, because if I was to show you all of the plastic we've collected in just the last three years, we've, we've stored it all, we have it in a huge pile, it's like a mountain, we've never thrown away a piece of plastic we found on the beach, we've collected it all for research purposes. And it is unbelievable how much we found in just a small stretch of the North Cornwall coastline. When you see it like that, you can really begin to imagine the scale of the issue. How does that extrapolate to the rest of the coastline of the UK, the rest of the world? It's frightening, but also positive because you can see the difference that a small group of volunteers on a small part of the coastline can make. Yes, we found a lot, but my goodness, can you imagine if we hadn't done anything that would all still be in the environment? You have seven beaches now. What is your vision for Beach Guardian? My vision for Beach Guardian would be to transform this into a platform for me to help as many people and as much wildlife as possible. We've seen the impact that an initiative such as Beach Guardian can have in the community by empowering all generations. And once you're taking responsibility of your local environment, the ripple effect of control that you have on your life and other areas that you begin to thrive in is stunning and I would love to use our kind of best practice model in our community and spread that worldwide so I really hope that the future of Beach Guardian I would describe it as almost not franchising but making sure that we can provide the resources of how we've done what we've done so other people can do the exact same, set something up like we have in their community and ensure that, again, the planet is being cared for, but the people are too. And that's what I really envision for Beach Guardian is to be able to provide people with the content so that they can do what we've done. You know, the way you've described it is probably the originally when you started, the beneficiary was the environment. But now it's the environment and the social interaction that people get and, and value and connection to, to the environment and each other that is also a beneficiary. So it's also having a isolation impact and mental health impact in a very positive way. Is there, is there any other beneficiary, do you think, be, besides those two when you think about what you do? When I first started, when I was a child on this mission, I just wanted to focus on the beach where I lived. I saw there was a problem and I wanted to do everything I could to protect this one beach. Now, as the years have gone by, I realized you can't just focus your efforts on one problem in one place as one person. You have to spread that into every other aspect. And you wouldn't believe the people we've engaged with with Beach Guardian and the people that can get on board with this campaign. We have the most crazy businesses that you think will never be able to get on board with with the campaign asking for our help. You can't just look at it as, you know, we're doing a beach clean, we're protecting the environment or we're helping people, we're doing something social. There are so many 
aspects to this. And I think that's what's so exciting is that plastic pollution is in all of our lives. It is everywhere. Plastic has reached every corner of the globe, places we haven't even been directly ourselves. But that is the very reason why we can solve this. It is in all of our lives, we can all do something. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you do, everything you do does make a difference and everybody can do something. Sure, we clean up the beaches and there's less plastic, but why do we really care? What impact does it have on our physicality beyond the environment? So talk a little bit about that sort of impact so we can really drive this home for people. People ask me all the time, are you hopeful? How are you still hopeful for the future? There have been times where I've been on the beach and I there's just plastic everywhere. And what I'm doing is a small dent it's really tip of the iceberg and and people ask you know what's the point if you know that the difference you're making is small in the grand scheme of things and my answer will always be if everybody thought that we would never ever get anywhere and if I started saying that I wasn't hopeful nobody is going to get on a campaign that they think is already doomed as I've said time and time again I am so lucky to see things every day that make me feel hopeful. And I am absolutely hopeful for the future. I have no doubt in my mind that we, can't, that we can change this. We can turn the tide, not just on plastic, but every single systemic issue that is across the world, we can solve it only if we work together. And the importance is that you have to realize the power that you have as an individual. You have to take responsibility for that. We will spend our lives diffusing responsibility onto somebody else. Take plastic, for example. Oh, the council will clean it up. Somebody else will clean it up. Chances are they won't. If you break that cycle of diffusing that onto someone else, you make a difference. My favourite quote is, um, the worst thing that we can do for the planet is think that somebody else will save it. If we realise we are all somebody we can be that somebody to do something. It doesn't matter how small someone else thinks it is. If we all do that as a collaborative movement, it's massive and it will change the world, but only when you realize the power that you have as an individual to do that. You're singing my song in my book, uh, Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We. Me is about taking responsibility. And I love that you and your father decided that this is not nobody else's job. This is my, my job. So kudos to you for recognizing that. And it only takes one, right? It only takes one to start something. And then one perpetuates 6,000, as it turns out, or more people that are you're contributing to. But there's also the health issue because there is the reality that plastics are getting in our systems and they are affecting some of our bodily functions. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we can absolutely talk about it. And I think it's really important because I have had to come to realize that not everybody likes the beach. It blows my mind, but not everyone likes the beach. Not everybody appreciates wildlife. Everybody's different, of course, and entitled to those opinions. But if you can come at this campaign with a human health angle, 
then maybe people will start listening. And it's really important because plastic, there's so much evidence that supports that plastic is, is hazardous for human health. I mean, my research, for example, focuses on this as well. So as part of my master's degree, I'm looking at the role of microplastics, as you said in your introduction, and, and the role in, in bacteria in the ocean. There's vast evidence to support that any flotsam, any floating material in the ocean will be colonized by bacteria, algae, all sorts of creatures. Now, as part of my research, I'm looking at how these bacteria colonizing microplastics may be driving antibiotic resistance. So this is obviously the, uh, the ability of bacteria to support, to, to survive antibiotic therapy. So there are so many things happening that are hidden from the eye that are taking place that you would think would never be uh, working together. You know, how could antibiotic resistance be linked to plastic pollution? but they absolutely are. And there are things that we can all do in our lives to not only protect the planet, but protect ourselves too. But as we keep saying, it really does start with the individual. Is there any measures in place that you have and your dad have in, in regards to, hey, we're achieving our objectives and we're moving this along and we actually are impacting the environment in a positive way? Okay, I love this question too, because this is what is magical about plastic pollution, because as a as a campaign, I think plastic pollution is totally unique in it is the only environmental issue where you can directly see the impact that you have had. It's almost instantaneous to feel that reward. I've done something good today. I've done something productive today. If you go to a beach, if you go to a park, if you're walking down the street, Street and there is plastic and you pick it up and it's no longer in the environment you have made a difference and you can see that difference you have made with climate change for example we're told to reduce the amount of electricity we use so I turn off my light I can't see the polar ice cap that I've saved it's totally different but with plastic pollution you can and once you have that rewarding feeling and you know you've made a difference it's always what's next what can I do next? I describe beach cleaning as the gateway drug to being an environmentalist, because once you start making a difference, you go on to do such phenomenal things. And I see it with our volunteers and they tell me anecdotal evidence of that ripple effect, that subconscious change that you make, that shift in your consuming culture just from doing a beach clean. A lot of our volunteers say, you know, since I started beach cleaning with you three years ago, I, I know that I'm producing less waste because I don't put the bins out as much. And it's these little things. They're walking down the, the supermarket aisle and they choose something that's not wrapped in plastic. It's all subconscious. It's all just happening because of the beach clean that you've done. So there is so much difference that we've made across the world, but it's all these little everyday things that together make this huge difference. So how about though with PepsiCo, for example? I mean, that was a massive uh, impact that, that you made. Are you looking at other organizations to partner with to help them make the same shift? 
always and I will never say no to anybody even if there was a person in front of me and they said look I've been spending my whole life littering I've done so much damage I might might continue doing damage but will you work with me of course I will always work with anybody because we have to do it together and I mean with PepsiCo for example we're still on the what next yes they did a great thing with the walkers scheme but there's still a lot more to do. But now they've had that success, they're looking on what's next. So if anybody ever needs help or direction or support or ideas, we will always be there to help them. You're not proactively, and again, I know you're a busy person, so let's, you know, you're not proactively at this particular time going out and saying, let us look at the use of your plastics so that we can reduce them. Well, we have uh, an environmental audit that we do. So when we go into like a a business that wants help, we say, okay, so with this type of plastic, this single use X, Y, Z, you use this much, here are the alternatives. And then we go back and see the changes that they've made and look at what else can be done and the success that they've had, whether it's saved them money, whether it's saved them waste and all of these different things. So we absolutely monitor these things uh, to ensure that, it's obviously working and then we can look at, okay, that worked, what to do next. Okay, excellent. And that's your measurement. That's what I'm looking for is that environmental audit that you're actually doing, which is fabulous. So why don't you tell us those five key key ways for me to start working on my own environmental audit? <laughs> well, my five top tips are the most simplest level of being environmentalist but that that do make a huge difference if the whole world did these five top tips it would be joyous so my and actually I'm going to tell you my five in my order but then I had a conversation with the most inspiring young boy the other day he I think he's 12 and he joined us on a beach clean and he started doing his own video blog about plastics and he interviewed me and you know I learned so much from the people I talk to and he has made me change my mind on the order of my five so I'll tell you my five and then I'll tell you the, why it's changed in its order so the first one always get yourself a reusable drinks bottle it's so easy it sounds so you know um common sense oh perfect there we go see everyone can do it it saves money it encourages me to drink more water really great and you can get some really snazzy drinks but I can't believe I just said snazzy that's (laughs) we have a you we have a you me we snazzy bottle (laughs) there we go perfect and there's another thing businesses can brand with all of these reusables tote bags the lot so reusable drinks bottle done and this is so important plastic bottle waste is unimaginably high we in the uk alone 750 plastic bottles are littered every single minute of every single day now if those 750 people that littered them got themselves a reusable drinks bottle done the second is i'm glad you've just taken a sip from your coffee cup because my next one is get yourself a reusable coffee cup again it's the same as the the drinks bottles it saves money it saves the planet it's really easy and you can get some great ones too my next one reusable face coverings now this was obviously never on my list before 
but the amount of PPE I found polluting the environment is staggering. And again, this is a human health risk in itself. We're wearing these masks to protect ourselves, to protect others. Now it's causing damage to the planet and there's a contamination risk too. I did a beach clean this morning and I found six face masks on just a really small beach in North Cornwall. How are they getting there? And this is just the start of much bigger things, I fear. So reusable face coverings or just ensuring you're putting them in the bin. I'm feeling good so far. I've got three for three. I actually have you, me, we face masks. <laughs> Brilliant. They're, they're, I'm going to send you a care package. <laughs> Please do. I love it. I love it. We do have Beach Guardian uh, face cover. I was seeing if I don't, I don't have one near me. That's a yeah. shame. But uh, we um, are collaborating with a really great organization called The Skill Mill. And they're based in Lithuania, I believe. And it is... Oh, Goodness, this is annoying. Why can't I think of the word? What's it? Oh, redundant seamstresses that lost their job due, due to COVID-19 and now making our sustainable face coverings that obviously are representing Beach Guardian. So they're really cool too. My fourth one, do a beach clean or a litter pick or just pick up some rubbish when you find it. Really, really easy and makes a huge difference and leads on to so many other things. Now, my fifth one is my favourite and actually the one that I want to move to my first one due to this boy, Lewis, because it's his idea. And I think this is the most simple but most powerful thing we can all do every single day. And many of us will already do it every single day without even realising it. I think the best thing that we can do for the planet is talk about it. Just talk about the environment talk about nature, talk about something beautiful you've seen today, talk about that sunset you saw last night, just talk to people about the things that inspire you, that surround you. And I think by doing that, we learn to appreciate it more, we want to protect it more, and you can inspire so many people with just a conversation. You might be walking along the beach with your grandma and just say, you know, this is a really lovely day, I feel so at peace, it's beautiful. And someone walking past you may be having a really bad day and may not be able to see that. They hear you say it and they say, do you know what, actually, it is beautiful. And then they go on and that just spreads. And it just starts by talking, me and you talking about it today. It's the start of so many things. And it's just the most human, the most simple thing that we can do. You're right. I do like the talk about it because... Admittedly, I'm talking about the environment now in the last six months, probably more than I ever have. And although I've, you're always aware and you're doing things, uh, but that's a great way to get people starting the dialogue. Uh, where we're at a crisis point, which it should have started a long time ago. There, there is, I, I like your list. I like your list a lot. I just want to add to the list. And for the, and, and curious why these things aren't on your list. One of them is, you know, plastic bags in themselves. And plastic bags are, in my experience, and I'm talking out, it's bad at home, but in traveling, especially in developing countries, there's plastic bags everywhere. And they're usually blue. I don't know why, but they are usually blue. And they're in the water, they're in, um, be it the slums, they're be on the streets, but they're absolutely 
everywhere. Is there a reason that you didn't include plastic bags in your top five? There probably is a reason, but not one that I've actually thought about until now. I mean, in the UK, we have the 5P carrier bag charge. And since that came in, I believe it was 2015 that came in, there's been a 95% reduction in the use of single-use plastic carrier bags. So plastic bags aren't even really a consideration in my mind anymore. They've just been totally almost wiped out from the consumer eye. Uh, and, and I think it's just such the, the done thing to have a reusable shopping bag. It's interesting that uh, you say about the, you know, the de developing world. I did a, um, I had a fantastic opportunity to go to Kenya on a, a, a field course with my degree. And uh, I, after the, the field course, I really looked into Kenya because it's such a magical place. Mm -hmm. And I did a series of videos exploring some of the, the conservation issues and the solutions that I saw in Kenya. And they have next to zero use of plastic carrier bags because they Kenya actually enforced the most stringent regulation against plastic carrier bags you can actually face jail time by selling or manufacturing plastic bags in Kenya so I think there are certainly a whole range of solutions to tackling plastic bags across the world it just takes the steps to enforce them and introduce them but I think another point you raised there which is really important is I do worry how accessible it is to be a conservationist or to be an environmentalist because you can't go on to and I've seen it especially during COVID-19 because you as a person you can't go on to help the environment when you yourself haven't achieved your most basic needs of feeling safe, secure with food security and shelter. Now, we have experienced that ourselves with COVID-19. If we don't feel safe as a person, we can't then, we struggle to go and give to others and give to the planet. But as we have really reinforced during our discussion today, when you're a conservationist and environmentalist, you don't have to sacrifice everything you you don't have to make sacrifices so looking after yourself and your family and looking after the planet don't have to be exclusive they can go together and just by taking the most simple steps talking about the planet makes you an environmentalist makes you a con conservationist so everybody can do it they just have to feel empowered that they can i love that message because for a few reasons you, it's not one or the other. It can be both. And there's there's consumerism too. It's like what you buy is also important. So if, if and when you really look at in the developing world, they're they're contributing the least amount to the, the greenhouse gases, uh, where the Western world's creating the most. And yet the the developing world, particularly in Africa and and in uh, Mozambique they're suffering the most because of our choices. So yes, it, it's, it may not be on everyone's top priority, but there are things that you can do every day, even getting rid of straws. I, I appreciate your comment about the plastics. The reason Kenya changed their plastic laws to your point, Uganda did it way before any country did. And the reason is because it was so bad there. 
so we still have our plastics in Canada. Yes, we charge for it. We obviously aren't as advanced as Britain is in this regard. We still need to get better at it. But with the with the COVID-19, they're not allowing us to bring our bags or they weren't allowing us to bring our bags in. So that, you know, it's kind of like, is the environment getting a breath or are we adding to the problem? So whatever we can do, we must do. And I, I love, love what you're saying there. I want to ask you one more question. Then I want to do a quick rapid fire. I didn't prepare you for this. <laughs> a quick rapid fire. So we'll start wrapping up. But one question I do have for you. You know, you, you've achieved so much, but at any point in time, have you ever done something that made you uncomfortable, but you had to do it in order to continue to have the environmental and social impact that you've had? That's a really interesting question. And the answer is yes. I have, during my time and my journey at Beach Guardian, I have done things that I have thought twice about doing but the advice that I would give there is what somebody said to me when very very early on in my journey as Beach Guardian and I am so grateful for that advice and that is you never know who is sat in the audience you never know who may hear your story and be inspired or what they can do to support you so even if there is a presentation that you think I don't think I can engage these people. I don't think, I'm not sure if I can, you know, inspire these people. Do it anyway, Put just go for it. I mean, when you're powered by passion and you're doing something you love, talking about the environment is something I can do all day, any day. So it's not uncomfortable in that I don't think I can physically do it. I just am not sure about the impact that I'm going to make. But every single time I've gone and done one of those kind of presentations I have always been grateful for doing it because even just one person saying to me do you know what I really liked that presentation I've never heard it in the way that you said it you've made me rethink a few things that's enough for me even if just one person says that so I would say always say yes to everything because you never know what opportunities it may bring but also to totally juxtapose that and go over everything that I've just said. It's also okay to say no when you have so much going on, you can't spread yourself too thin. And saying no at that point doesn't mean I will never do it. It just means at this moment, I can't give you my 100%. But next week, next month, I will do it. And I can give you much, much more. So you have to get the balance right. Great, thanks for that. All right, we're gonna do a little quick rapid fire. So these are short, sharp answers. If you don't know the answer, say pass. <laughs> there's no answer per se, it's your answer. So there's no wrong answer. All I right. waited my whole life for this. <laughs> <laughs> you got your buzzer? <laughs> okay, worst piece of advice you ever received? Uh, remember, they only want to see you because you are a woman. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Best piece of advice you've ever received. It doesn't matter what they say, they're talking about you. Which of your strengths do you rely on most to have the success you have achieved? Passion. Besides the environment, 
which beneficiary do you think needs the most investment of time, research, and money? Equality. Who is the greatest female influence in your life? There are so many, and I'm so fortunate to say that. I, the, the greatest influence across my whole journey of Beach Guardian, Joe Ruxton, the producer of the film Plastic Ocean, and she gave me that advice of it doesn't matter what they're saying, they're talking about you. What three values do you live by? Always see the positives, smile when you want to, and appreciate the beauty around you. Great. I'm gonna give you a word. Just give me the first word that comes to your mind. I feel like I'm being psychoanalyzed now. <laughs> no, you're not. It's, no, you're not. <laughs> Meaning. Depth. Contribute. Volunteer. Conscious. Present. Sustainability. Green. Learn. Adapt. Legacy. My, the first word that came into my head was smile or I'm going to go with smile. Leader. Role model. Collaborate. Friend. Consistency. Reputation. We. Community. Great, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm just oh, I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you everyone for joining us today. You can subscribe to Wisdom Exchange TV so you can receive each new interview in your inbox. Please share this interview by going to the share button located on the page. The interview is available as a podcast and video. If you know someone who has had a significant social or environmental impact in business, education, civic service, or advocacy, let us know. Visit the guest tab on wisdomexchangetv.com and submit information and our research team will take it from there. And also, do you want to live your most meaningful life? Join the You, Me, We community, Women Driving Social Impact. Visit us at youmewe.ca to access diverse resources to guide you joining the community to connect, collaborate, and make your contribution count. Before I give my last word, do you have any words of wisdom for our audience regarding having an impact on society? Only to reiterate what I already said, remember you are somebody, you can do something, and it absolutely makes a difference. Fabulous. Thank you, Emily. Really appreciate your insight. And until next time, make your contribution count for you, me, we. This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening. Watch, listen, or read interviews with conscious contribution leaders who are having a social impact on our communities and beyond. WisdomExchangeTV.com